Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spires. Well, first off, apologies for this one being a day late. I will come clean. We took my 18-year-old to a concert on Saturday night, and I actually, my voice was a little bit gone on Sunday morning when I usually record the podcast. So instead of trying to suffer through it and have a raspy voice through the entire thing, I decided to give it an extra day, especially with the holiday weekend. So here we are on a Monday morning, ready to roll. And first up, before we get into our main topic of the podcast, I did pick up some more spiders this week. Now, as I've alluded to before, I've been kind of on a regular, a true spider kick lately. I think for years, I ignored them because with tarantulas, I mean, the one thing tarantulas have on the majority of the arachnids out there is the fact they live forever. I mean, even the the fast-growing species that don't live as long, you're still looking at something 8 to 10 years old when it passes away, which I think is amazing. I think I've been spoiled by that. I mean, uh, the queen was probably in her late 30s to 40 when she died, and I'd had her for almost a quarter century. So there's like that part of it when you start looking at the true spiders, the part that kind of turned me off wasn't the fact they didn't find them fascinating. It was the idea that in a year's time I would have an adult and within you know 18 months or so that adult would likely be dead and so a lot of people would get on me and be like when are you going to do true spiders when are you going to do true spiders and I purposely kind of ignored them for many many years I mean this was kind of planned ignoring wherein I didn't read up a lot about them because I had a funny feeling that I would be just as fascinated with them as I was tarantulas and I just really didn't want to get into it plus I had a lot going on with the tarantula stuff so I spent you know years doing the Thomas Big Spiders thing focusing mostly on tarantulas and I felt I still had so many species out there to keep and that I could write about and talk about and make videos about so it's been a long time coming, but as I mentioned in other podcasts, I recently picked up a bunch. I got a kick while I was reading a bunch of books about spiders and was finding it just so fascinating. It's like that once your mind's open, once you start recognizing recognizing how interesting some of these species are, they all are. They're all fascinating. I even go out now and like last night, it was about 11 o'clock at night. We live on a cul-de-sac that's got a lot of woods around it. And my lights were off on my porch. I turned the lights on and just went out to see what type of spiders we had in the porch. And there were, I counted at least seven different species of spiders that were out there hunting. And it just fascinates the heck out of me. So now I'm like more attuned to the spiders that are in my own environment, they're in my own house, they're in my own backyard. And now when I go shopping, my focus lately has been a little more on. True spiders, and in speci- to be specific, huntsman spiders. I've been after we picked up the H Maxima, which that was going to be like my one huntsman spider. I've had David Bowie before, Heteropoda, it's uh, David Bowie, and I love those. I would definitely love to get more of those in the future, but it wasn't like a big. Let me go out and see what's out there. And every once in a while, I'd look at when somebody had something in stock. Oh, yeah, they got Huntsman. Yay, whatever, and move on. Now it's become almost an obsession where it's like I spend a lot of time at the computer looking up Huntsman spiders for sale in the U.S., hitting all my dealers that I usually buy from, finding new dealers and reading up on them. A couple of them seem kind of scummy, so we're not going to be ordering from. But anyway, just trying to see what I can find and what's out there. And as I mentioned before, when I found the Formictimus species I recently picked up, I was on the hunt for Huntsman. So I found some at a Reese's Spider Shop. They had some coming in in an import. And I jumped all over them, three different species. So they had Heteropoda tetrica black, Halconia moriensis, and Heteropoda venatoria, which three huntsman species. They look super cool. So I ordered a, a two venatoria and one moriensis and one tetrica black. And then Billy and I had to house them. Now, if you remember when we tried to house the H Maxima, it turned into a debacle, and it wasn't because the spiders were necessarily poorly behaved, it was because I was ill-prepared to deal with the speed of that particular species of spider. I mean, there was no other way about it. I actually did a podcast, which I can't find, by the way. I thought it was titled uh, Rehousing Critique, and I tried to find it to reference it in the video I just put up, and I couldn't find it. But I'm pretty sure I did a podcast where I broke down where exactly I went wrong during the rehousing. The nice thing is a lot of people came and offered me that it worked with Halconia species, Heteropodio. It worked with the Huntsman, the faster spiders, the wandering spiders, with tips and tricks I could use to make it a lot easier easier to not only house them, but rehouse them and feed them and perform maintenance. My buddy Mel emailed me a beautifully long email about how she goes about setting them up and making sure that, you know, they don't escape during the rehousing. It was just a lot of great information. Because again, 
this is stuff I should have been more prepared for. This is, I, I, I hate to call it hubris because I didn't go in cocky with it. I knew how fast they were. I'd worked with the David Bowies and those gave me fits. I was one of the few things I've ever kept that made me nervous when it was feeding time because I was always afraid they were going to pop right out the top when I opened the enclosure to drop a prey item in. So I had some experience with it, but watching, rewatching that video, editing that video, it showed me how close we came to losing one of those spiders. I do have house spiders in my tarantula room. Every once in a while I get gnats and stuff, and I love the little house spiders. We'll take care of those right away. So if one of those had escaped, it likely would have become a meal for one of the house spiders, and I would have felt terribly about that. It's not a money thing. It's a, I brought this animal in my home. I It's my responsibility to make sure it's cared for correctly, and due to my negligence, it escaped and got eaten. That would have really bothered me. So luckily, it ended well, and there were lessons to be learned, a lot of lessons to be learned. So with this next go around, I wanted to make sure that we employed some of the stuff that we had learned, that we showed that we took it seriously and have made changes. I also had to convince Billy that this wasn't going to be another chaotic rehousing. I mean, she really did have to do something that was ridiculously difficult because I wore that blousy shirt with the brown coloration on it. The thing was about maybe a third of an inch hid on the back of my shirt and she had to find it. She didn't have her glasses on. It was just a nightmare and she pulled it off. So I don't think she ever wants to be in a situation like that again. So it was kind of funny because I went up and I was trying to decide whether or not to order these spiders. Reese's Spider Shop had a deal going with uh, shipping costs. And I'm like, if I'm going to order them, I'm going to order them and take advantage of the shipping costs. But I'm like, do I really want to do this again? Do I really want to bring in four of these, four more opportunities to essentially fail at a rehousing? And I thought, thought long and hard about it. And we're sitting there where I forget we were watching something on TV and I ran upstairs and I had them in my cart and I'm like, that's it. Boom, pulled the trigger and ordered them. And I had to go downstairs and go, all right, so I might've just ordered some more Huntsman. And my son, my 18 year old, who kind of is enamored with the Huntsman as well, was pretty excited. Billy was like, you've got to be kidding me. Not in a mean way. We kind of giggled about it, but I think it was one of those deals where it's like she just had was replaying that other rehousing in her head and thinking, now we're going to do four of them. But I'm like, listen, I've got it under control. I've got some things we're going to do. We're going to change it this time. It's going to go better. So part of it was to show other people that we could learn. Part of it was to prove to Billy, who has always been great about this, that, listen, it's not going to be a big deal this time. So we did get them in. We did the rehousings. They went very, very well. I went through in the video. I kind of give some of the tips that I was taught. Not These are not my tips. I want to make that very clear. This isn't something that I came up with magically. Although I will say with the one thing we used is to rehouse them, we picked up one of those big butterfly enclosures. They're like made of like a net material and they have a zip up front and it allows you to kind of contain the spider as you work. So if the spider bolts, it's going to end up in one of the corners of that enclosure and you'll be able to see it because again, because it's net, you can see right through it. So it'll be easier to keep track of the spider without it getting out. So that was a big one. That was something that I had actually thought about once upon a time. And after talking to my buddy Mel, she pointed out you could get that. She has, she pointed out that you can buy the indoor greenhouses that are like eight by eight by eight feet or something. They're plastic to do larger spiders, make sure they can't get out, which I thought was a cool idea. I'd love to have like a little mini room up here for rehousings and breedings and stuff. But after seeing that, I was like, all right, we're definitely doing this. So we did the rehousings inside the container, which meant, you know, the footage wasn't great, but I honestly don't care. I know somebody's going to come on eventually and go the, the footage. I actually, honestly, Billy did a great job. She was over my shoulder with the camera, so I shouldn't knock it too much because it, it actually came out okay. But as far as when people are used to seeing YouTubers that get out and do the, you know, photo shoots and everything, this is not photo shoot quality, but I think you can see exactly what's going on, what I'm doing. So a couple things we did just to mitigate the chances of escape is they, a lot of them, three of them were shipped in the little what are centrifuge vials that have the little points on them. They're meant to go in a centrifuge machine. They have the little caps with a hinge on it. So what we did is we snipped the caps off, the things, the hinge of the caps, and then I planted them in the substrate and then basically just took off the top and then carefully pulled out the piece of paper towel that was covering the opening and then let them come out on their own. There was no need. They're so tiny and so fast. I was afraid I was actually smush one with a brush or have it bounce out and get on me and not know. So we just took it, planted three of them right in a row and let them come out. And within an hour, they were all out and exploring, which was great. So done. Will I take those out? Probably not because if I try to take them out, I got a funny feeling I'm going to disturb the whole thing and the spider's going to come bolting out. There's nothing wrong with leaving those in there. With the Heteropoda Tetrica Black, it was sold as an inch to an inch and a half, I think. I think it's probably 
probably closer to an inch and a half to maybe an inch and three quarters. It was a well-started spider, big spider. It looked beautiful. And for that one, we used another trick, which Mel taught me, is to lay the enclosure on its side and try to get the spider going across the ground into the other enclosure as opposed to trying to get it to go up or give it a situation where it can bolt up and out. So we laid the the new enclosure, which was one of the AMAC boxes, the larger ones, I mean, it's like almost six by four by four square. And we laid the top part of it on its side and put the spider wrapped in the, we pulled out the paper towel with the spider and it put it right up against to where I glued some cork bark to the side of it. So there was a little opening in there and then gently prodded it from the back. And it came out the side by the cork bark, went right underneath the cork bark. We stuck the top part back into the bottom part of the enclosure and we were done. It went great. And it was one of those ones, there's a moment in there where Billy's looking with the camera down into the vial where the spider is. And it's a good size spider. I'm like, so, oh my God, this jumps out on her. I'm going to be sleeping on the couch. But no, it behaved itself. We got it in. It was great. Another trick we use, and I heard from several people that said this, is that the huntsman spiders and I believe the wandering spiders were also mentioned. It's when you take the do the old Amok box trick where you take an Amok box and you flip it on its lid for arboreals. I've used those before in the past for arboreal tarantula slings, whatnot. Well, they said if you use those, generally if you tap the enclosure, a lot of times they will bolt up to the top of the enclosure, which gives you room to work on the bottom. And it has worked like a charm. We set up several of those. Unfortunately, there was only one spider that was big enough to go in one, but I do have to rehouse my H Maxima soon. So those are going to go into the inverted enclosures as well. So another great tip there to make sure that, you know, again, it's all about making sure a spider goes from point A from point B with minimal fuss. I don't need and want to be one of those channels that features the chaotic rehousings because it gets a lot of people love seeing that stuff. I know I get it. I was back when I was first getting into the hobby. Seriously, I used to watch a lot of them to try to figure out where they went wrong. That was my thing is like, I know I can do this without the spider getting out, but I want to watch other people do it. Want to watch ones where it gets all messed up and the spider's going around and try to figure out that spot where, hey, if they had just done this, this wouldn't have happened. And a lot of them, they're very easy to figure out. So I don't want to be one of those people. We have one, I mean, I think the one with the rehousing with the H Maxim was a good one because it did show how we're able to react and stay calm. Mostly Billy, I was just kind of standing there while she found it and be able to eventually get them into their enclosures, but it's not something I would like to repeat. So it went well. The other thing we did is I got rid of my shirt. I'm always wearing that brown shirt. It's one I wear around the house when I'm working and working in the tarantula room, and especially when I got spiders with hairs, I usually put it on. We took that off. I had a tighter black t-shirt on, a metal shirt. Probably should have used white. Everybody said white, but I don't have a lot of white t-shirts but that way if it had gotten on me there wouldn't be a bunch of wrinkles or it wouldn't be camouflage in the fabric and it would be easier to find the spider luckily none of them got on me they all went in all four of them are there i'm looking over at them now well kind of looking over at their enclosures they're kind of too small to see so we'll i'm going to look forward to growing these guys up again i'm not moving away from tarantulas i want to make that clear i've already had a couple people kind of freak out like so you're not doing the tarantula thing oh no tarantulas are my blood man i've been doing those forever but it's always been Tom's Big Spiders, and now we're branching out a little bit and showing off some of the other species of spiders out there that people might like to keep. Although, I can say I just posted the video up with the housing, and I'm getting a lot of people that are just saying flat out, nope, Huntsman are not for me. And honestly, I 100% understand. For me, with that last one, that could have been something with the H Maxima that scared me off it because they are, I mean, flat out, they move too quickly for you to register. I don't, I had somebody come on one of the comments like, yeah, my reflexes are good. That's fantastic. So are mine. And they're nothing compared to the speed these things can move at when they're motivated. They are so fast. I have footage of one of them leaping basically 10 times the length of its body twice in less than a split second. I mean, we're talking, even when I slowed it down, it was still fast. So, I can definitely get the fact that some people don't want that in their home. They don't want to take the chance, the stress that comes with these. I will tell you, before doing this rehousing, both Billy and I were feeling a bit anxious. So totally get that part of it. But for me, it's something I'm like excited to keep now. I'm excited about growing them up. I'm hopefully excited. Hopefully they do well. This could be something that later on in the future we start doing some husbandry stuff for. Again, I don't like doing husbandry for anything that I don't have real experience keeping. So I've had some people right away go, oh, I'm get these, I've got these coming. Can you do a husbandry guide on them? No, I can't because I just got slings. And yes, I've eaten a couple times. My knock on wood, my H Maximas are seem to be growing well. But 
that doesn't prove I know how to keep them correctly. Sometimes you can keep them wrong and the spiders still do pretty well. So we'll give it some time, see how they're going. But eventually in the future, that's something I'd like to cover. I mean, I know there's not as many people out there that want to keep those as probably the tarantulas, but it still might be fun to just show them off to folks. And maybe we'll open eyes of a few people out there that might want to give them a shot. And of course, the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I can show they're manageable. So fingers crossed it goes well in the future. I will definitely do updates on those. Now into our main topic for the day. Winter is coming. The weather is starting to cool down a bit. We're starting to get some of that more seasonably cool autumn weather now that you know we're getting mid-October almost. I can't believe how quickly time's flying. But the temps are dropping here. We had a couple nights where it almost hit like in the 30s. We're talking about right around 39, 40 degrees. It's going to continue to get colder, and then before we know it, winter will be upon us. So I think what usually happens this time of year is we get a lot of folks that entered the hobby during the spring and summer months. They picked up a bunch of spiders. You know, they started off, you know, hey, I'm only getting a couple. Next thing you know, it, they got 20 or so spiders, a bunch of slings, and oh God, the temperature drops outside, and they realize that room that they've been keeping them in that has maintained, you know, 70 degree temperatures throughout the entire summer drops down one morning and hits 60s and they start to freak out. 60s usually is the point where people start to worry about their tarantulas. And I've been getting a lot of emails from folks that are into the hobby. They've either moved to a house that the room they've got them in isn't as well heated or there seems to be a lot of folks overseas. Somebody's got to explain this one to me eventually because I get a lot of folks from overseas, from Wales, from Scotland is always a big one. I always mention this one that their houses seem to get incredibly cold during the winter. And I guess here in the States, we usually, I mean, our thermostats here, I usually have them set like 66 or so in our living room. We like it a little bit chillier, but everybody's wearing hoodies and whatever. Just, it saves money and it's more comfortable. You can always put on more clothes. You can only take on off so many before it gets weird. So we always like to keep it a little cooler. But here, usually when you go into somebody's home, you're talking 60s to at least 70, mid 70s. If you were my grandmother back in the day, maybe 90, because you always crank it up. But it sounds like a lot of folks overseas, it's not the same. I don't know if there's just... doesn't get really cold enough to warrant heating or if they just nobody uses them or a lot of people don't use them but I get people that will email and say hey my house gets really cold and I'll ask how cold it is and they'll give me the the temperature and I'll convert it over to something I understand they'll be like oh it's 50 degrees or 45 degrees wow that is really cold so a lot of folks now are hitting me up with how what should I do here are my temperatures should I heat and if I heat how do I heat and I don't like covering this topic all that much because I'm afraid somebody's going to take what I say when I'm talking about like an extreme situation and go, oh, Tom said it's okay to heat. This is what we should do. I think under most normal circumstances, you should not need to heat your trash. So it drives me nuts because I'm on the news the other day. I, I get the Google News feed, as I've mentioned before, and I'm getting these tarantula care guides popping up from this place called the Spruce Pet or something. And I was reading one of them and I'm like, you know what? That actually isn't all that bad until we got to the point where they tell you, you absolutely need to put a heat light on it. One of the ones that was a species like, I, I want to say a bee hemorrhoi or something like that. And they're like, yep, you need to keep your spider at this temperature or else it's not going to do well and could die. And like, oh, for crying out loud. And then they mentioned heat light, which we want to stay away from. So there's unfortunately still a lot of information out there that makes us think we need to heat our tarantulas. That tarantulas need it warm. We Again, I've mentioned this ad nauseum I get sick of saying but it bears repeating because there's always somebody new that's coming in the podcast going wait what they don't need to be kept hot these aren't reptiles we're not talking about a snake that thermoregulates a snake that eats in order to digest its food needs to sit on a hot surface and absorb some of that heat to get the digestive juices going tarantulas when they get colder and they get cool. Now, we're not talking about extreme temperature drop. We're talking about, you know, if the temperature drops and you've got temperatures in your home, they're 60s. Honestly, even before I started doing this, I started looking up some, you know, researching and looking up some old emails and stuff for people telling me about how cool they sometimes keep their tarantulas. There are folks that keep them in the 50s all winter long and have no problems. I spoke to a guy recently who said in the wintertime, their room, it isn't well heated, so it gets around 55 degrees or so, 55, sometimes 60 when it's warmer. And he says his tarantulas slow down a bit. They stop eating as much. There's not as much molting going on, but they do molt. They do eat. And they do fine. And then when the water warms up a bit and it hits like 80s in there during the summertime, they all eat a bunch and they start growing quickly. So that's something to think about there that the cold doesn't hurt. 
but it's not like they're shivering. I think we, again, anthropomorphize them to a point where we're like, we're chilly, so our spider's going to be chilly. And that's not necessarily the case. There are a lot of species out there, especially when you're talking about North American species, that you'd be shocked at how cool it can get where they're at. We're talking about freezing weather. Now, some of them burrow and they get down below that frost line, but they still experience cool weather and they still do just fine. So that's always something we need to keep in mind. And I think something that a lot of people don't can't wrap their minds around is the fact that it can get a lot of species, the majority of species we keep, it can get quite cool. They'll do just fine. Uh, and I'm guilty of this as well. I mean, I shared that I actually, when I first started keeping them, we had them in a room that it had a heater, but unfortunately the thermostat was in the living room and the living room would heat up a lot quicker than that room would. So usually what would happen is that the living room, if I set it to 70 degrees, would hit 70 degrees. The other room would be at like 68. So all winter long, we had temperatures that would often dip down into the, a lot of times there were high 60s, they would dip down to as low as 65. Every once in a while, really cold one to get a little bit lower. And I grew a lot of slings. I had my Caribbean Versicolor like that, my OBT, which granted grew more slowly, my... El Parahibana, like a lot of my earlier slings all experience colder temps during the winter. So it's always important to really kind of take inventory of just how cold is it in that room. Measure some, and some things to do before you even consider heat. Measure the temperature of the room. Measure the temperature of the room over a period of time. Measure the temperature of the room when it gets really cold. What is it at? Measure the temperature of the room higher up shelves. Sometimes you can get away with not having heat by putting up in higher place. You can always look to another room. I've had people go, hey, I really want to keep them in my living room, but with the door opening and the windows in there, it's like 55 degrees sometimes, but my bedroom always stays around 70, but I really don't want to put them in there. Well, if you're worried about them getting heat, the easiest thing to do would be to move them to your bedroom. It may not be what you originally planned, but at least for the summer or the cool winter months, that might be the place to put them, and you can always move them out afterwards when it starts to warm up. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this because I know I've covered this topic and rather recently about, you know, what to do when you're looking to where to put your spiders to get some heat. But let's say now, and this is where you can never, I talk about we can't deal in absolutes. And I, I, as much as I want to say you should never have to heat them, there are some situations where you may have to heat them, where you may find that it does get too cold. Now, again, keeping in mind that I kept mine in the mid 60s, and they did fine. Keeping in mind that there are people out there that keep their spiders, and what the guy I was talking to, I want to throw this out there too, kept a lot of Pisolotheria species. And he said he's had ones molt out several times during the course of the winter, even with the cooler temps. So that's something to keep in mind because there are folks out there that will tell you they have to be kept at a certain temperature or they're not going to do well. And I just don't think that's true. But Let's say we're in a place where it does get too cold or you really feel like, you know, you need a little extra heat with it. Let's go through some of first. Let's go through some of the don'ts. First and foremost, don't use heat rocks. Don't use heat rocks. Don't use those fake heat type furnishings that you put in there for reptiles. I used actually used to use those back in the day for some of my reptiles. And I stopped using them because they would get hot spots. And I've had situations where like a ball python laid on one and it got super hot. I either malfunctioned or just had a wicked bad hot spot, even with the rheostat on it to control it because I had turned the heat down and it burned and blistered the poor snake. So those are not in any way, shape or form. Like I stopped using them for my reptiles, but maybe they have better ones now. This is a long time ago. Some of the better ones, I guess, were okay, but I started using heat mats and stuff. But anyway, where I'm going with this is not appropriate. They're not appropriate for spiders at all. They get very, very hot. A spider, the problem with spiders, and people will use this as evidence that they like the heat, which they will gravitate toward heat. They're not dumb animals. Like they will go out and get, if, if there's a heat source nearby, they will go out and hug the side of the aquarium or the side of the tank to try to get to that heat source. The problem is if you put that heat source in the tank with it, it's going to perch itself right on top of it. And then by the time it probably starts to register, uh-oh, this is getting too hot, it could be desiccated enough that it can't move. They dry out and then they can't move and they can't mobilize. And then you have a situation where the spider clings to that heat source and fries itself. I have personally seen photos twice that people have sent me. I think there's something wrong with my spider. It's not moving. And Two different instances when they sent me photos, the spider was perched on top of a heat rock. So I've seen it personally twice because people go, well, does that always happen? Probably not. Is it common? I don't know. I, I'm hoping most people aren't using these in the first place. But can it happen? Absolutely. In both these instances, the spider was good. I asked what had happened. They went, well, I had the heat rock because it was getting a little cool. 
and the spider was using the heat rock. So I'm like, good, it's using the heat rock. It obviously likes the heat. I came back, it hadn't moved. I wonder what was going on. And I went and it was like lifeless. So two situations where they bake themselves on the heat rock. So do not use heat rocks. Now, the other one that I see mentioned all the time, and this is a tough one because there are ways to use them that you're not going to put your spider at a huge risk. Let's put that out. I don't want to, this is one of these ones I'm going to put on here, don't use as in directly, but then we'll talk about later on how they can be used, if they can be used more carefully to make sure that they're appropriate for the spider, but heat lamps. Do not put heat lamps on your spider. I've seen, I can't tell you how many times I've received photos. Hey Tom, love your, love your podcast, love your videos, love your, found your website, whatever. Here's a picture of the AC money I just rescued from a pet store. It's in an aquarium. And then they send me the picture and there's a heat lamp on top of it. And it's like, okay, first and foremost, take that thing, throw it against the wall, get it out of there. Do not put a heat lamp directly on your spider. Do not do like what we do with reptiles, which is take a heat dome, put it over the top of an aquarium and let the, you know, animal go and bask under it. Again, the problem is a heat lamps dry stuff out quickly. So you're going to dry out the tarantula's enclosure. You're going to desiccate the tarantula. B, they are going to hug that heat source and it doesn't take long for that tarantula to become too dehydrated that they can't move. Speaking of heat lamps, I've seen instances where people have shown me pictures. This happens a lot. It seems like with a vicularia species because they, they hear that they have to have high humidity and high temps, but somebody sets up a vicularia vicularia and a exoterra they have the whole thing set up the fake plants the spiders in there and they put a heat lamp right on top of it and i've had people email me going i can't figure out what's going on my vicularia is on its back on the ground and it looks like it's dead and but i can't tell if it's molting or not and you look and lo and behold what you ended up above the tarantula was a heat lamp and what probably happened is the spider went up hugged the heat lamp finally got to the point where it got too much heat couldn't move fell down to the bottom of the tank and there it is dead or at least desiccated to the point where it can't move so heat lamps directly on them don't do it don't succumb to it i'm sure somebody's going to chime in they got a way to do it and more power to you I'm just saying, unless you want to spend a lot of money setting up a really good setup with these guys to make sure it's foolproof and nothing's going to happen, you're not going to bake your spider, do not put heat lamps directly on them. So now you're at a point where you're looking at and you're going, all right, I live in this beach cottage that doesn't get heat over the summer because it really doesn't get all, you know, it doesn't get freezing, but we, it definitely gets too cold for the spiders. That was one I got recently where somebody said it sometimes hits the high 40s in there. That would be, I don't think I'd keep tarantulas in the high 40s. I, I get 50s would probably be the bare minimum. And I think for a lot of us, it would still cause us stress and freak us out that they weren't going to do well. And with slings, that would be the thing I would worry about. For adult tarantulas, I think the lower temps are fine. I would have to admit, though, with some of my slings, I'd be a little worried because, again, it's you want to get them on that sling stage as fast as possible. And the one thing the cold is going to do is slow down that metabolism, slow down the eating, slow down the molting, slow down the growth rate. That that would freak me out a little bit, but I have heard from people that have raised slings through the cold. So again, we're just going to say for the sake of argument, you're in a predicament where it's going to drop, you know, 50 below 55 degrees, maybe in the 40s. You're in a spot where you really feel like you need some extra heat. First and foremost, best way to heat. And I know people get tired of hearing this and there's there's reasons why it's it's not viable, but using heating the entire room. Find a room your tarantulas, you're going to keep your tarantulas in and heat that room. I've had people go, well, it's my living room and it only gets cold at night and I don't, well, then heat that room at night, even if, especially if it's not your bedroom. I've had some people, unfortunately, they keep them in their bedroom. They can't sleep when it gets too hot, but I would argue that even if you set, you know, the temperature in there at 65 degrees, that shouldn't be too hot for you, but Heating the room is the best way to do it. You can get a radiant heater, the electric oil fill heaters. I've used them for several years now, probably about eight years or so. I started, again, for me with the Tom's Big Spider stuff, I did want to keep the room a little warmer during the wintertime because part of what I do is writing about their care and their husbandry, and I like to be able to grow them from slings to adults to be able to talk about that. So for me, it kind of behooved me to have them growing a little more quickly, but I didn't go crazy. You know, the temperatures in my tarantula room even with the heater on the lower shelves were like 70 degrees and on the upper shelves occasionally would hit mid to higher 70s usually the higher shelves are like 74 73 lower shelves 70 sometimes you know real low ones 69 so I didn't go crazy with the heating but I didn't want to take some of the chill off but radiant heaters are great they're inexpensive overall I mean I would do your research and get a good one because there's some really you know garbo ones out there that you don't you want to avoid 
but I've had two and I've used one of them for years in my old tarantula room. And I actually used it up here where we had our heat went during the winter last year. And I had it up here for a precaution and it worked great. And this is a big room and it heated that up. But there's so much, they're so convenient. The big thing is, you know, I've heard people say my electric bill is going to go up. Yes, your electric bill will bump up a bit, but I ran one all winter for several years and it really wasn't all that bad. And for the convenience of it, you can set the temperature. They're programmable. You can set a timer on it and have it go on certain times. So it can only go on during night and turn off again. Very convenient. They can create a nice little, you know, you can just warm, take the edge off the room without going crazy with it. And then you wrap it up, you put it away during the summer and spring, which I always thought was very convenient as well. Now, the only downfall to these or the only the only negative I've experienced with, at least with mine, is the default setting for the temperature, I believe, was 90 degrees, which is way too high. And what would happen is every once in a while, you'd have a power outage. It would get, it would knock the thing out, you know, it would go out from it and it would default to that 90 degrees. So if you came in, even if it was just a quick power outage and you hit power and turn the thing on and forgot to set the temperature, it would jack way up. So we did have a situation. This was back when I had my sack for my Caribbean Aversa color. At, the power had gone out during the day. Before bed, I turned it back on. I forgot to check the, the thermostat on it. And we got up in the morning and the tarantula room was about 95 degrees. It was like a nightmare. We opened the room. And it was like, holy, what happened? Scramble. We had to open up all the doors. It was during the winter time. So I opened up the door to the garage and the laundry room and we got a fan in. We we're blowing the cold air in. Luckily, it was only for a short period of time. Everybody survived. Nobody, you know, the, the sack ended up hatching. They were fine. But that's something to just be careful of. We were very careful of it after that to make sure that we always checked the temperature on it before we turned it on. But the, with mine, it was great because I'd find like exactly where I wanted the heat to be in that room. I'd keep it programmed. It would kick on at night. We'd turn it off in the morning. Everything was great. So definitely check in if you have a room that you can eat, even if it's, again, Living room or bedroom, you're just taking the chill off. We're not talking about, I think some people here, you know, use a radiant heater. I can't do that. I'm, I'm going to be uncomfortable in there. You don't have to make it that cold. But if you're telling me the temperatures in your room drop to the low 50s to high 40s, or then it doesn't, it's going to make it much more comfortable for everybody, I'm assuming, to have that temperature raised at least to the 60s where the tarantulas are going to be definitely safe, especially if you have slings. So the radiant heaters, are heating a whole room. I don't like the ones that have the fan on them, the ones that blow around. I'm not a fan of those, but I know people that have used them. The radiant heater is nice because it's just like a radiator. It's just your room. It just radiates heat. There's no direct, you know, fan blowing hot air around. Oh, the other thing to keep in mind with these is they will dry out the air. Just like any any heat item. If you're heating a whole room, it's going to dry out the air. So I always have when I run mine, like if I'm running it for any length of time, always had a small humidifier going at the same time just to add a little moisture in the air because the heaters, they can create that really dry air that's quite frankly, not just bad for the spiders, it's bad for our own skin. So I always like to add a little moisture in there. It's not like the tarantula room gets all steamy. It's enough to just keep it around the 40, 50% around there. Usually it doesn't go any anywhere above 60, but just to make sure the air doesn't dry out too much. Now, the second thing that people will sometimes do if they have smaller collections is they will heat a larger enclosure and put the other ones in it. A popular thing to do is people will buy old curio or go on to, what is that, Kia, and buy a big storage, you know, Curio, and then they will put use heat tape. And usually the thing is with this, it's going to be pricey. If you, if you don't want to heat a whole room and you do want to keep your tarantulas a little warmer, this is the way to go. Again, it's not an expensive hobby. We went over the fact it's not a very expensive hobby. So putting some money aside, you know, foregoing buying some huge expensive tarantulas for a little while to create something to keep them in, I think is a good trade-off. But I've seen folks, I have not done this personally, but if you look, you will find things out there where people will take a cabinet and they will use the flex watt heat tape that you use for like snake. I used to use this when I create, build my own snake enclosures and stuff. They take the flex watt heat tape, they put the heat tape along the back or the bottom and basically install several, usually several thermometers in there to measure or thermostats to measure the temperatures on the lower end, the upper end, because always remember, obviously, basic science, heat rises. So if you've got a heater on the bottom and all that hot air is going up through that enclosure, the chances are the top shelves are going to be much warmer. You always got to be careful of that. And again, I have not done this. So if this is something you're interested in doing, talk to, look, do some research, find somebody that's got it, look up and see what they did online. Don't just start from scratch. I mean, this isn't something you want to experiment with too, too much, especially with the spiders in it. You want to kind of figure it out before you put spiders in it. Know you have it under control before you decide to put any animals in it. But I've seen people have shown me over the years what they have set up and it's pretty it's pretty impressive. Now obviously the pros of it are you've got this 
one area heated that you can put your tarantulas in and you don't have to worry about worrying, you know, the temperature outside in the room. So if you have it in a bedroom or a living room, the, the outside can get cooler. The inside is going to be fine. The thing I always worry about is if there is a failure in your equipment, your thermostat. I spoke to a hobbyist not that long ago that ended up setting up a cabinet situation like this and it malfunctioned and baked all of his spiders. There were several, I can't remember, I want to say it was around 20 spiders in this curio thing. He said it worked fine. There was a malfunction and it heated up the high 90s and baked them all, killed all of his slings, killed the majority of his adults. So that would be a concern for me. I'm the type of, you know, I have that type of personality, obsessive compulsive personality that I'd be checking that thing constantly. Personally, if I were to try something like this, I would get one of those systems like the sensor push that my buddy Luis picked me up for a housewarming gift when we moved in here. It's been amazing because it allows you, it monitors the temperature in the area and then sends uh, readings directly to your phone real time. So I can check the temperature in this room any point in the day. So if you're worried about it, you could always have that hooked up and be able to check at any point to make sure it wasn't overheating. Because again, it would take a little while for it to get up to dangerous levels. So if you saw that it was going above where you had it set, it would at least allow you to act. That would be, I think absolutely necessary to for peace of mind but a lot of folks use these they'll also heat a closet this is another popular one they'll have a smaller closet they'll do the same thing in the closet just heat the closet so the spiders are in there i've had people do it with heat lamps not what i would choose to do plus heat rises i always wonder how that works if you have a heat lamp on the top of the closet it's radiating heat downward maybe a couple feet or so but i don't know how that hits the lower part but i would definitely if this is something you want to do if you want to look at heating a smaller closet or buying a curio I would definitely do your research beforehand. Again, I would love to give you firsthand knowledge, but I haven't done it. But I have seen ones that look, they're very nice setups, but they're very expensive setups. They're not buying the cheap Zoom Med thermometers and stuff of that. They're buying the high-tech stuff to make sure that it's going to work because you can buy stuff in there where you can put the little sensors in. You can put an upper sensor in, lower sensor in, have the thing basically turn off if it gets too hot. That would be the trick, but again, only in extreme circumstances would I try something like this. Now, we talked about the slings earlier and the fact that, you know, I'd be worried about, you know, slings maybe getting too cold. A lot of folks will build kind of a nursery for their slings. They will take a larger glass enclosure, put heat mats along the back of it. Again, same kind of concept as what we were talking about with the Curio, but you're using a larger enclosure heating that larger enclosure, keeping the inside of that at a nice warm, maybe 65 degrees, maybe 70 degrees. You could also put some open water containers in there to just make sure it doesn't, you know, get too dry. And then you put the enclosures, the smaller enclosures inside that. I've used something like this before. I actually used to have what I'd call my my sling nursery where I'd have the larger container with some moist paper towels. I'd put all the little sling containers in it. And then I would have a spot in the room on a shelf that was a little warmer. I would keep them up there. Similar print, uh, principle, except the fact you're going to probably use some heat. Again, that would be something I'd be very careful with. It all comes down to how reliable your equipment is. And the thing I worry about is somebody's going to go on, they're going to pick up some of the Zoomed garbage you get out there that there aren't, I've used them years ago for the snakes and stuff, they aren't particularly reliable. This isn't like a snake that's going to get a little warm, it'll be fine. You could easily fry your, your slings. So you're going to want to get good equipment, you're going to want to test it ahead of time, you're going to want to do your research before you try setting something up like this to make sure that your slings aren't going to get baked because the worst case scenario is think about it. You try to keep your slings warm because you're afraid it's going to be too cold, cool for them when in essence, heat is almost more dangerous for them. Like I have more concerns in the summer in this room when it gets super hot of things drying out and becoming desiccated. Never mind during the winter when it's a little cooler. I don't have to worry about the water dishes stay full. The substrate stays moist longer. Like you got to be really careful with that stuff. So again, heating a smaller enclosure, definitely a lot of people do this with scorpions. I actually have plans to do this. I, I want to get some more scorpions soon, and I have some here that need a little more heat. So I'm going to heat a larger enclosure for it, but be very careful if you attempt something like this with spiders. Uh, make sure your stuff's on point. Make sure you've practiced it ahead of time. Make sure you've used good equipment because you don't want a situation where in trying to help your spiders, you end up killing them all. So now, over the course of the years, I've spoken to a lot of folks. What I love about the Tom's Big Spider stuff is I get to speak to hobbyists all over the world. I get to speak to folks in Philippines, Scotland, England, Portugal. We had somebody the other day from Japan, which was a first. I normally don't get to speak to folks from Japan all over the world. And I have noticed that a lot of folks overseas tend to have the problem where they feel like they need to heat. They have really cold houses. We alluded to this in the beginning of the podcast. So that tends to be where a lot of these questions come from. Not so much the U.S., but a lot overseas. And we'll have people that will, like the other day, I told somebody, listen, unless it's really, really cold in your house, you don't have to reheat it. And they're like, well, it was 45 in here last night. 
which again, I find shocking because I, I thought we kept it cold and that's way colder than about 20 degrees less than it is here. But in situations like that, yes, the heat's going to be needed. Speaking to a lot of folks of overseas, and again, this is one if you do some research or speak to some folks to do it, you should be pointed in the right direction. But a lot of folks will use heat mats or heat tape on shelving systems to kind of project out a little warmth. Now, what I'm saying with this, they are not heating the enclosures. Let's make this very, very clear. You do not want to stick heat mats directly to the side of your enclosure. You definitely, speaking of the do nots under any circumstances, do not put heat mats on the bottom of your enclosure. That is the absolute, one of the worst things you can do up there with having a heat lamp directly over it. Because what happens is when tarantulas get too hot, what do they do? They burrow. They dig. Now, in their mind, if I burrow, I'm going to get away from the heat because the ground's going to get cooler as it goes down. Now, if you put a heat mat at the bottom, as they burrow to get rid of the, away from the heat or as they just sit in their burrow, they are literally sitting on the heating element. They're going to bake. And I have heard instances of folks who would use the mat on the bottom. The tarantula, they're like, oh, he loves it. He, buried, he burrowed right to it. A month later, there's a smell. They realize the thing's dead. So you do not want to put it on the bottom of the enclosure. I don't care what, I would not do this under any circumstance, flat out. If you're going to use a heat mat, the way to do it and the way I've, I've spoken to folks that do this and they have a way they go about it that it makes it about as safe for the spiders you can get they have shelves and they take the it might be the flex watt tape it might be the heat mat they mount it against a piece of foam board i've heard you know the regular foam insulation stuff you use in the house they take that they mount it because that keeps the heat going potentially in one direction then they will mount that on the wall next to the shelf so picture the shelf the 90 degree angle the back of the the wall and then the shelf itself they mount it on the wall behind it and what they do is they position their enclosures so they get a little bit of heat that's coming off that heat mat from the wall and it allows them to make sure that the enclosures don't get too hot because it's not right up against the mat they can adjust how close or how far it is away and we're not talking about a lot of heat here this is literally this isn't talking about heating the enclosures the way it's been explained to me the folks that use it it sounds like correctly it's not about jacking up the heat inside the enclosure all that much. It's about providing a little extra warmth there. And they said the tarantulas will kind of go to that area, congregate in that area. If they burrow, there's, it's from the side. And a lot of folks will position a couple inches off the ground. So if the tarantula does burrow, none of that heat is actually hitting the base of it. So if it does get too warm, they can burrow. But the idea is just to take the chill out of the air. This is Obviously, if you've used heat mats, the heat they cast off isn't all that much. So when they set these things up, the idea is it's just getting a little bit of ambient heat off of those to make sure that the tarantulas have a little bit more warmth inside their enclosures that isn't too chilly. So again, I haven't done this. Per I did experiment with this. I, I should say I did it with my scorpions. I had some scorpions that I wanted. I had a shelf that was heated. I had the heat mat mounted on the foam. It got a little bit warm and I just positioned their enclosures there. So it kept the enclosures a little bit warmer. I have not used it for tarantulas. So again, if this is something you feel like you need, and this isn't something I would do if your temperatures are in the 60s, this isn't something I would even consider. High 50s probably wouldn't even consider it. But if you're a place where it's really cold, this is a way you can actually heat the tarantulas. And there are a lot of folks that do it. So there should be good information out there. Again, contact somebody who's done it and done it for a while. Ask them what they do. Ask for pictures. Ask for help setting it up so you don't get a situation where you fry your spiders. But the old heat mat on the wall trick, I have seen photos of people's setups with this. And I have spoken to many people that have use this setup to make sure that their tarantulas don't get too cold over those cold winter months and it seems to work fairly well but again it's all as good as the setup it's all as good as your equipment is so make sure you find out what people use what works for them and make sure again you always want to be careful when you have those hot days or those warmer days where sometimes you have a winter a couple winter days where it gets up really warm if that room heats up keep in mind that, that those things are still going to be giving off heat so you want to make sure you have your thermostats all set and regulated so that you don't end up in a situation where you overheat your spiders. Now, this final one I'm going to mention because if I'm being truthful, I've used it to my advantage before and I've had other people ask me the same thing, which is why in the beginning when we were talking about heat lamps, we said that, you know, you don't want to use heat lamps directly on it. However, I myself, and I know many hobbyists have used this trick before, sometimes you have a tarantula room where you have another exotic pet like a reptile or a snake or a lizard or whatever it may be and it has a heat lamp. And those heat lamps, when they're over the enclosures, some of that heat comes through the dome. It escapes through around the you know screen around where you've placed that heat bulb, and it rises up, and it kind of creates a little bit of ambient heat right around that tank. So 
I myself have used this before. I used to have a setup where I'd have my, my snake underneath it and the heat lamp was above the snake and I positioned some of my shelves in a way that some of those shelves would get a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit of that heat. So that shelf was a little bit warmer than some of the areas around it. And I've spoken to other folks who have done the exact same thing. Like, listen, I have heat lamps in there. They're not on the spiders. They're not above the spiders, but some of that heat is rising. You can use that ambient heat and those that the fact that that heat is going to rise up to keep one of those shelves a little bit warmer. And I've done that when I had my slings up there or I had scorpions that needed warmth. I would always position them around those areas. Now, remember, you want to measure the temperature first. Don't just go in blind and go, yep, that feels a little bit warmer. Put it here because remember, when the temperature rises in that room, that's going to get even warmer. So you want to be very careful of that. But I have used that before. Again, you don't put the lamp or the heating element directly on the spiders. You have the spiders positioned over the lamp, not close to it. I mean, mine was up high, but experiment with it. Put those shelves up there. See how warm it gets. It's usually enough to just take the chill off or add a few degrees to that shelf. And I've used it before back in the day when we had our first apartment and I had the the queen we had a lot of snakes and the queen, I never heated her tank, but it did get kind of chilly in our apartment. And what I would do is position her enclosure on a shelf kind of near one of the heat lamps. So it just got a little bit. Now, obviously, in retrospect, she did not need this at all. I want to make that very, very clear before somebody's like, Tom was heating his, his G. Rosé or his G. Porteri. No, this we're talking about years ago when the apartment would get really cold. And I didn't know any better. And this was also right around the time where, you know, originally I had a a sponge in her water dish, but I took that out. And long time ago, we would have her next to that thing. It was always just because I was afraid it was going to get too cold in there. As we got older, I didn't worry about it at all. And she didn't have any heat and wasn't anywhere near that. But that was where the idea came to me. It's like, all right, I'm not going to, I knew better than to heat her enclosure. I will say that. I knew I was not supposed to use a heat light lamp on her. I knew I was not supposed to use a heat rock, although I think I had one in there for a little while and then took it out when I read some better information. But I did think she needed a little bit of extra warmth because our apartment got cool. So I had her set up like that. Later on, I used it in the tarantula room for when I had slings and scorpions. There was just a warmer corner. I knew that that corner would be a little warmer than everywhere else, but it never got hot. It never got to the point where the tarantulas or the uh, the scorpions were any danger. So that's something that can be used. The other thing I've heard people using before is those that have aquariums with heated water in it. They will put shelves above the aquariums because some of that warmer, moist air will come up. Now for slings or moisture-dependent species, that's fantastic. The one thing I would caution against is using it for species that want it dry because that's going to be fairly, fairly humid air. But I've heard many people that use that. And some people, I, I had one guy is like, I'm putting a exotic fish in here partially because I want exotic fish and partially because I want to set up a shelf above it for my slings and stuff because it's always going to be a little bit warmer a little more humid so I won't have to worry about them drying out or becoming too cold so that's always using stuff that you have pre-existing in the house from other pets is also a nice little way to provide a little extra heat if you feel like you absolutely need it so those are the methods and in the order I would probably consider them if I had found myself in a situation where I needed to figure out how to provide a little extra warmth for my animals. But again, I want to make it very, very, very clear because I don't want, this is one of those ones I could see every once in a while I do a podcast and somebody goes on a board and goes, Tom Moran said you should heat your animals like this. Tom Moran is not saying to heat your animals. I want to make that very, very clear. Tom Moran is actually saying that they could drop down the fifties and probably be perfectly fine. But I am conceding that there are situations where people keep them, they get them during the warmer months and they find a situation where the house is just too cool to take the chance that they don't require some type of extra heat. And this is my attempt to go through and show people and give some examples of the safest ways to provide auxiliary heat if it should be needed. I am not telling somebody that's sitting out there right now, if you're sitting out there right now, like, oh, well, it drops down to 65 during the winter. I better heat it. No, don't bother. It's it's going to do more harm than good in most instances. These This is for the people that are, find themselves in a situation where they absolutely need extra heat. And then again, The easiest way, the number one, I think it edges all of these out is heat the whole room. If you have to do it, if there's any way, I've I've heard arguments from people like, oh, I can't, I'm not going to be able to sleep. Oh, it's it's a bigger living room. It doesn't matter. You put this thing, if you get one of those little stand-up radiant heaters, put it in the corner where the tarantulas are. It'll give off a little extra warmth, keep that corner a little more toasty. That's the best way by far. The other ones, again, the curios and stuff, people use them. I would, and as always, I would encourage folks, if you do use a heated closet, if you do use a heated curio and have done it for some time, I don't, I mean, not to, 
not to be mean about it, but if it's something you just hooked up and you've just been trying, you haven't really shown that it works yet. I mean, we have, let's for those of you that have set it up, had one of these systems set up for a while, please share. I mean, I think that's important information for anybody looking at possibly heating their room because I, again, I haven't done it. I don't know a lot about it. And for those of you that use the heat tape or the heat mats on a, the shelf about next to a shelf and position their enclosures, use that technique. I would love to see pictures personally because people will ask me about this and I can't speak from experience. I would love to see pictures to be able to go, yes, I've seen a setup. This is what the guy did. So please feel free to share that if you'd like, you know, on Facebook. Hopefully they add the comment section to this new website I'm experimenting with. I haven't given the name of it yet because I don't feel like launching it until we actually have the comment section. Hopefully get some people over there to contribute. But that would be a, that's how I see this working is people could go on and go, yes, I've done this or no, I haven't done this. And I'd like more information. People can kind of share information so it's not just coming from me. Also, conversely, if you're somebody that keeps your tarantulas at a lower temperature in the winter, chime in. Let people know because I think a lot of this comes from, again, that panic of seeing YouTube videos and reading stuff online saying your tarantulas have to be kept at 78 to 80 degrees. I, I ugh, Obviously, it drives me nuts because I keep harping on it, but it causes so much harm. There are people that will, will hear that. You can't unhear it. And then you start panicking and it gets down to like the low 70s and you're freaking out. My spider's going to die. And it's just, it's wasted and negative energy, quite frankly. So I've already shared some lower temperatures that I've raised spiders in. We're talking about 60s, down at even the lower 60s on occasion. But I know there's other folks out there that keep them even cooler during the wintertime. Please chime in with what are your temps, how long have you done this for, and what are some of the species that you've kept this way? Because I think that's valuable information for anybody getting into the hobby to hear from people that have done it. Because that tends to make people feel a little bit better when they go, they hear that it has to be kept at 82, but here's this guy that just said he's been keeping for 10 years and they drop down to the 60s and sometimes you know high 50s and has no problem whatsoever. Please share if you're one of those. I mean, it's a safe spot. I know some people are afraid to say it because they're afraid they're going to get torn apart for keeping their spiders too cool. But this is all information we need to have so that people can make informed decisions when they get their tarantulas, when the temperatures start dropping, about whether or not they truly need to add heat. Because I think in probably 99% of the instances, heat is not going to be needed. And again, it's only going to complicate things. And probably while you're trying to protect your spider, you're putting it in more danger. So that's my disclaimer on this. Hopefully nobody, everybody takes the correct message. Hopefully if there's folks out there like, yeah, it gets flipping cold in my house. This is going to be great. Hopefully this helped you out. For those that are sitting on temperatures that are the 60s, hopefully this just made you feel better. The fact that you don't need the heat. And for those of you that may be experiencing 50s some there at some times, hopefully this helps you put your mind at ease that they're not going to just drop dead on you. They may slow down. They may stop eating as much. They may not molt as much, but they're, they're going to be okay. But figured I should cover it because people ask and this kind of allows me to kind of articulate my thoughts about why I think we normally don't need to heat, but also offer some people some resources, some, some ideas if they should find themselves in the boat that they do actually require a little extra heat to make sure their tarantulas are okay. So that will do it for this one. Um, if you want to check out the video I was talking about at the beginning, it's on YouTube now with the rehousing of the Huntsman spiders. It's funny how many people, as I'm sitting here, I'm checking comments and there's more people like, nope, not dealing with them. And I get it. Um, but that one's up you can find me obviously on youtube you can find me on thomas big spiders here we are on the podcast that will do it for this one as always guys stay safe and we'll catch you all next time